everybody. Happy St. Patrick's Day. You are listening to the OmniTalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with Microsoft, the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Takeoff, and Sezzle. The OmniTalk Fast Five podcast is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but more importantly, a little happier each week, too. As we said, Chris, it's March 17th. I'm your host, Anne Mazenga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss all the top headlines making waves in the world of omnichannel retailing. That's right, Anne. Top of the morning to you. I see you've got a little get up on today. That's right, Anne. I do. I do have a little get up on today. Oh my God. You're and doing I, a terrible I'm Irish a accent, too. Terrible fake Irish accent oh, as well. But I'm doing my best. I'm getting full into character here today. But we've got a great show today, Anne. We, we've got our, my, oh, this is one of my favorite shows every month. Oh my God. The uh, accent is pretty terrible. Uh, Chris thinks he puts on a like 1990s black Celtic starter jacket and he's got an Irish accent all of a sudden. Fun story though, Anne. This was 2002 in San Francisco. I once convinced a, uh, let's say a bevy of gentlemen while I was with some other people that I was their Irish brother. I was with some Irish friends of mine. I went on to pretend I was their Irish brother and they paid for all our drinks and my cab home that night because they were afraid that I wouldn't know how to get home. Is that because you were wearing the starter jacket? No, or where the, does that come from? The starter jacket, and actually, the starter jacket, this starter jacket is 32 years old. I can tell. I wore this I don't in think eighth grade. I got this ago. for the Celtics Suns game when Larry Bird was in town. I was oh. a huge Larry Bird fan growing up. But we digress, and this is this is honestly my favorite show every month because AM is back with us, and they are. Thank God. You guys, if this is going to be a show with just Chris, the whole show doing a fake Irish accent, I think we'd all we'd, our numbers would drop significantly, significantly. But uh, let's introduce our guests today. We have returning once again, Dave Ritter. How many times has this been for you? You're kind of a pro now. Oh, yeah, I think five or so. Are you uh, five timer now? Are you the first yeah, five timer? Something like that. <laughs> it's tough to follow that accent, though. I'm not sure I uh I it's want to tough be, for all of us. I want to be second in the queue behind that. Yeah. <laughs> the first five timer though. This is we got to celebrate. I know. I feel like we should celebrate today. Do we do people celebrate on today, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. Same, a couple Yeah, right. Couple they have ways. Two beverages. New York City for sure. Yeah, yes, right. Yeah, in the River Green in Chicago. Yeah. Um well, yeah. let's introduce our first timer here, uh Michael Pendergast. Uh tell us about you, Michael, and welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here for uh, my maiden voyage. So um, um, I've been with A&M for about four years. Prior to that, I spent over 20 years out in the retail business as an operator, um, doing all sorts of different things in fashion and brands and uh, lived a pretty uh, exciting career. And um, uh, it's great to be with you here today. That's awesome. And where were you an operator, Michael? So I spent a bunch of time at Tommy Hilfiger. I uh, then ran... Uh, as the president, Chaps by Ralph Lauren. Also spent a bunch of time in the crazy world of hip hop, uh, ran all of Jay-Z and Beyonce's consumer product interests, including apparel and other things, and then uh, helped them sell that company and then went to work for the company that purchased it, uh, doing things like licensing and M&A and running a platform company. Also spent some time as a partner of a um, smaller cap fast fashion company where I had the uh, distinct pleasure to travel the world and spend at least way too many weeks that uh, my wife would be happy about over in China and Asia, Vietnam, all sorts of fun places, but figured out how to innovate the supply chain down to about 45 days from hitting the button uh, on a PO and getting it to uh, clients' uh, factories. So that's awesome. Really 
kind of a diverse background, but um, about four years ago, CRG was really starting to grow and got the call to come over and decided to make the leap and uh, haven't looked back since and really excited that uh, was able to do that and excited to be here today. Now, that's why we love having you guys on the show, because you guys bring operator like pragmatism to the discussion. And and given the topics we have today, and I think this is going to be right up Michael's alley. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So, David, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Just remind the audience. I know it's your fifth time on the show. People are probably very aware of who you are now. But for those that may be listening for the first time, tell us about tell us who you are. Hey, Frederick. Good to see everyone. I am a, a long term consultant in the, the uh, retail space. I kind of specialize in the intersection of technology operations and retail. Uh, I've been a, a partner in uh, Consumer Retail Group at Alvarez and Marsal for two years now after a longer career at McKinsey. So excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Ann, I think we should get to it. Let's do it. We got the, We've big, got the pros big brains on, on bread here yes. today. Let's get to it. Let's put them to the test. Let's put them on the spot this week, which is my favorite thing to do. In today's Fast Five, Ann, we are we are going to talk about DoorDash and Uber, mm-hmm. Macy's plans to overhaul its website, the latest live streaming news from Alibaba, Twitter testing a new shop feature. But first, we are going to take off with what is, quite honestly, loads of news from <laughs> Starbucks this week. Holy we've cow. Got, we've got like triple, train. triple venties happening yeah. right now in the world. Hold of my latte. Yeah. Hold my latte. That's right. Yeah, so with, t- with a black eye. Yes, exactly. Uh, So tons of news out of the Starbucks this week. In addition to headlines about their CEO stepping down, a move to reusable cups, potentially becoming the EV gas station of the future. Uh, It's a dessert topic. (laughs) The news that caught our eye most this week was that Starbucks announced plans to expand its community prototype to 1,000 locations by 2030. So according to Chain Storage, Starbucks is, quote, ramping up the global expansion of its community store concept as part of a new commitment to make its stores more inclusive and accessible, end quote. Uh, it currently has 150 of these stores in operation. Who knew? Who literally <laughs> I who didn't knew. know that. Yeah. Uh, the store concept is different in that it provides dedicated programming and experiences that support economic opportunity in the local community and create pathways to opportunities for employees, according to Starbucks. The first prototype launched in 2015, and the U.S. stores are focused on things like, again, according to Chain Storage, local, quote, local hiring, having dedicated space for communities to come together for events, partnering with local artists, and working with diverse contractors and subcontractors on supporting service members, veterans, and military families, end quote. That was a mouthful, huh? There's a lot. A lot. A lot happening There's a lot they're, there. they're announcing in that statement. Yeah. Dave Ritter, I want to go to you first. A thousand stores. This is a big move is it not yeah so listen at first i respect starbucks i don't think this is that big a move yeah I've watched retailers for the last 15 years try to pull off community concepts yeah whether that's painting the community name on the wall right. adding event space having gyms store and store <laughs> with local vendors i mean do we really think this is differentiated or, or that much different i mean i love the, the notion of this i just yeah. don't think it's that big a deal or that different than a lot of things that are already in the market. I mean, it, even financial services like Capital One has launched Capital One right, Cafe. Right, exactly. I mean, I just, for me, this is not, it's nice, but it's not particularly exciting. Did it surprise you that they said they have 150 of these already in operation? It did surprise me, but I guess that also kind of speaks to how, yeah. how you know, how, how shockingly different it is. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's my take too. I mean, I think, I think this is this is this is a crazy story. Like when you read that in line with all the other stories they announced this week, I mean, it seems like they're trying to get ahead of the PR. Like everything they announced this week was like sustainable, 
community giving, yeah. you know, and it makes me wonder, I'm, I'm going to be jaded and cynical here because that's what I do. But it makes me wonder if they're just trying to get ahead of this, like, PR nightmare they have around unions yeah. starting up. But. I, I completely agree. It's like the the wording that was used in this, like people may have realized like, oh, this is a community focused Starbucks. But did they know of the 15 quotes that I just had to read in that intro? Right. Like were those specific words associated with these community concepts prior to the right. union discussions? But Michael, what are your what are your thoughts? I saw you nodding along here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, I think it's interesting and I think it's necessary for them. But at the end of the day, it just feels like window dressing. Mm-hmm. And I think the big, p- the big point in that article was the last sentence that talked about the union, the unionization movement that they're faced with. And right. that really seems like a huge thing. I mean, look, they've got 9000 locations. So what happens if a lot of those locations start unionizing? that creates a very dynamic, complicated challenge for them to, to face. So I think that's really the story and um, or really the important piece of the story. Because, you know, the interesting thing about Starbucks, and I've always thought this, is that there's two main reasons why they're successful. One is their product. The product mm-hmm. is fantastic, right? right. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the, the coffee or the tea or the actual food, it's great and it's consistent. And then the second thing is the customer service that you receive at Starbucks is fantastic. It is. And it's very consistent. I'll never forget the very first time I ever went to mainland China. We took, and this is kind of an interesting story, but we took a six hour boat ride out of Hong Kong into mainland China. And I got off the boat and it was definitely stranger in a strange land. But as we were driving another two hours to a factory in the middle of nowhere, there was a Starbucks and I'm telling you, it was exactly like the Starbucks that is near my house here you on felt the East Coast. Yeah. yeah. And it was wild because even the way their customer service was, it was the same. Same. So I've always thought that those two things are really what made Starbucks very successful. Yeah, I 100% agree. And yeah, so I mean, the big takeaway here from all of us, I mean, it sounds like we resolutely are thinking the same thing. This feels like kind of a smokescreen type announcement, which I think you have to think so too. When they have 150 of these already, if this prototype was blowing the doors off anything, we'd all know about it and be pretty gung-ho about it at this point. So it makes you wonder what's all going on here. All right, let's move on to headline number two. Let's and do it. We're trying something new here in honor of our AM guests and yes. this week. So headline number two is actually a combination of two headlines. The first is that DoorDash is piloting a returns pickup program. And the second is that Uber looks to be getting into retail. I'll tell you more about what both those mean. According to TechCrunch for the first headline, DoorDash confirmed it's testing a new feature called, quote, return a package, yes. end quote, that allows customers to use the service to return packages to the nearest post office, UPS, or FedEx location. And then Chain Store Age also hinted very overtly, I might add in their <laughs> article about Uber, that Uber could have plans to become a retailer coming off its holiday shop this past December and its recent acquisition of the liquor disservice, liquor service, Jesus. No one would ever do a liquor Whoa. disservice. Yeah, maybe. I. But anyway, so David, I got to ask you first, going back to you, which of these announcements, if true, was the more important headline of the week? I have no idea which one you're going to pick. So I think the DoorDash headline is the, bigger, is the bigger idea. I mean, I think with the growth of e-commerce, we've seen the returns and reverse logistics kind of explode as an issue many of our clients are facing. I mean, also in the market, you've seen PayPal buy happy returns. So they're starting to be yeah. you know, M&A activity. I think we're seeing early days of, a, of kind of a 
a disintermediation of reverse logistics into the components of the, the reverse logistics, similar to what we've seen in the, in the delivery front where it started as you know, Instacart or whomever did everything. And now it's going from pick, pack, last mile delivery. I think we're gonna see the exact kind of thing happen through the returns uh, value chain. Yeah, uh, which is a big deal, right? Because UPS and FedEx have owned that for years. While, while I also think that the Uber story is interesting, I mean, we've just had a lot of this marketplace discussion. Right. Um, I'm sure they'll have a marketplace. I'm sure it will be reasonably successful. I struggle with why I'd go to Uber Eats to, to make that purchase as opposed to, you know, the Amazons of the world. So for right. me, that's why I went with DoorDash. Right. Mm -hmm. Michael, do you agree with David on this one or any color you'd add? Yeah, I agree completely. And I think it, the interesting piece is this whole entry into the marketplace because it there's two people that I think really can get affected by this. One is the USPS, right? Because mm -hmm. if they really develop this, it'd be interesting to see what type of business they can take from the postal service. And then the second thing is Amazon. Like it seems like a thinly veiled opportunity for them to start going after that marketplace and really start competing with Amazon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, it's funny. I, when I first, and, and, and I got to give Anne a ton of credit on this one. Cause when I first, we were first talking about the headlines this week, I was yeah. like, I was soundly in the camp of, you know, leading with the Uber story. Cause I was like, Oh, Uber. Yeah. Totally makes sense. They're developing a marketplace. They're going to create their own retail, just like every other, you know, deliver third party delivery service is going to seemingly attempt to do. But then, Anne, you brought up the really interesting point that I get to, I think gets at the angle that David was talking about in terms yeah. of why the DoorDash story is more important. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that David, Dave, you're absolutely right when you're talking about, you know, just how the the whatever they're calling first mile logistics, even too. We talked to Narvar yesterday. Depending on your CEO. spin on it, right? Like where like, you are in like the relationship, who's, yeah. Who's in charge of that the, that returns process and the how, first mile returns? Right, exactly. Yeah. And I think that you know when you start to think about DoorDash and how many how much they're doing, they're white labeling for Walmart. They're white labeling for so many people. I mean, I did a Walmart Plus order two days ago, and it was the DoorDash person that was contacting me, not Walmart, telling me that my order was going to be delayed. And you know, being really that point person that you go to. So I think that you know, DoorDash bringing returns into their universe just helps further bolster them and all of their future plans as their own retailer. But then as this this white label retail or white label pickup service that they are providing for so many other retailers that the customers don't even really know about but yeah. makes them it makes doordash even stickier exactly you know in exactly. the services they're providing david right. so the other thing it does is market density matters and that yeah. the more that they can keep their drivers occupied the more profitable right. they can be so the more that they can pump through the channel which whichever whether it's last mile delivery or last mile return First mile return. It's just more. It, it's a. It's market density and a, a path towards more profitable model. Exactly. Yeah. And we've been long on DoorDash for a while in the landscape because you've got restaurant delivery that gets at that point. Yep. You've got the delivery for the other brands, whether it's grocers or other retailers that come on the platform, their yep. own dash marts, yep. and now returns. Right. It's hard. You're hard pressed to find somebody that has that full range of capabilities to the same extent. Well, I think. And as you were seeing more and more, even like malls and other places try to try to like test out these new services of being the single point of contact. DoorDash is the first place that a lot of these companies are going to to facilitate that. They've already got the network set up. Yeah, it's like the Southwest Airlines of of delivery, really. You know, right. low cost option. Just got to get you there. Right. Get it to you. Right. All right, you guys, let's go to headline number three. According to CNBC, Macy's is overhauling its website and planning to train its <laughs> employees to be personal stylists. The proposed redesign, quote, includes 
personalized website landing pages for online shoppers based on their buying history. Also an upgraded dashboard to show loyalty members how many rewards points they've accumulated, upcoming orders and unique style recommendations, end quote. Uh, There's going to be an elevated digital experience, according to Rich Lennox, Macy's chief brand officer, saying that there will be simplified global navigation, a refreshed modern search bar and personalized customer dashboards, he went on to add. In addition, CNBC also said that Macy's will train its employees to help customers one on one with style choices. Certain employees will be enlisted into its style crew. Style crew sounds cool. Yeah, right. Um, Where they (laughs) will be, where they will be paid a commission for helping to rack up sales as part of their participation in their program, and for any social media posts that lead to business. Mike, let's go to you first on this one. What are your thoughts? Uh, If you can't tell, Chris and I have plenty on this one. But what are you? What are your thoughts here? Well, it's funny staying in line with the St. Patrick's Day. I feel like I'm now going to be like the angry little drunk. That's great. Do it. Do it, please. Oh, my God. Go into full character on this one because it's totally deserved. It's so I think one of you just said this. It sounds cool. But at the end of the day, it's it's sort of to use a slang term. It's kind of a yawn. I mean, it's I really don't even think it's that interesting to tell you the truth. I think it ignores some of the fundamental challenges that Macy has had Macy's has had in their business both from a brick and mortar standpoint, but also from an e-com standpoint. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, when Macy's first came online with e-com 10, 12, 15 years ago, they were by far an, an industry leader. Yeah, they were. Related from a percent to total of their brick and mortar business that they were doing. All of the other department stores used them as best practice. Right. When I read that article and saw the percent that they're at today, I think it was 32 or 35%. It was very underwhelming, especially coming out of COVID. Would have loved to have seen that be higher. So I think there's other fundamental things that they should be doing. And this just seems like window dressing. I also think the challenge is how do you really manage this? You know, I think the the fragmentation of stylists and the dress code thing was interesting too, because that gets very fragmented. And then what does that do for your brand messaging as well mm-hmm. as Macy's that leads to how are they going to continue to differentiate themselves? If you have this interface that the stylist could be anybody, then they kind of lose the the differentiation of the Macy's brand as well. Yeah. And there's another point too on that too, that I want to get your guys' thoughts on specifically, because I think you guys, you know, are closer to this day to day than I am. Um, But my thoughts in general, my thoughts are the same as yours. Like, I'm like, this is not anything cool. This is like just stuff you should be doing in general. Yeah. The part that I have more of an issue with is actually the service idea. I hate that they're going in this direction because I don't think their business model fundamentally supports it in terms of how Macy's has traditionally operated. And that's what I want to get Explain your thoughts on. A little bit. Yes. Because your margin structure is defined by how much service you, you, you provide and mm-hmm. your margins have to be able to calibrate for that. Yep. And so when you think about it, like if they're going to do this, this means they need to hire better people. They need to invest in the technology to make them better at service. And I would argue that Macy's doesn't have that in their business model right now. That's going to be a very incremental cost for them to do. And my favorite example of this, which I've talked about on the show before, and it's perfect for today, is about two or three years ago, I went into a Macy's and I asked somebody, where can I find St. Patrick's Day clothing for my kids to wear to school? And the person literally said to me, the sales associate literally said to me, what's St. Patrick's Day? So like, that's a huge jump if you're going to take your organization to that level. 
to provide this type of style service, which they're going after, like the stitch fixes of the world. That's what the, that's what they're trying to get into the marketplace here from a press standpoint. Yeah. So, David, it's not, or Michael, it sounds how, like you agree. How many Guinness did you have yeah. before you asked her what's no, this was like <laughs> this was like two weeks beforehand, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, you know, I think you, you hit the three nail. that day. Ed. No, I don't know. But no, go, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. You hit you hit a nail on the head because speaking from experience as a retailer and as a wholesaler, mm-hmm. there was always an issue with Macy's customer service. And that's going back 20 years ago. Right. So it's never really been an embedded fundamental accelerator for them, if you will. So now they're trying to take it to a, no, a whole other level and it's not accounted for in their margin and it's not accounted for either in their, their HR circle, if you will. They don't attract, they don't know how to re- recruit and they also don't know how to cultivate that customer service or a high level of customer service like a Nordstrom does. And I think right. Nordstrom is a perfect best case example of yeah. the ability for them to clientele, the ability to really read and react to their clients' needs is terrific. And Macy's just has never really played in that game and it's never really been something that they excel at. So now how are they going to do this online? Just seems, it seems difficult. Yeah, it's a great point. They're the mass market department store, which is why they've been getting killed by off price too. And so to your point, they don't have a right to win, you know, in this space with this strategy, in my opinion, but Ann, what what's your color you'd add here? You know, I, I, I want to say like, if Macy's did figure out a way to do this, if they could, if, if they could do this, I do think it's a smart move. I think going one-to-one, having content on your own website, offering one-to-one engagement, if they could do this, if they, it would require a huge shift like you and Michael are talking about. But my bigger question is how are you driving traffic to Macy's? How are you getting this next generation to go there? Even if you did this huge overhaul, I think you still have a huge hurdle again, that requires tons of time money and resources in order to get the Gen Z customer like on your page. And that's a great point too, because the other announcement they made this week is they've, they've poached the design, the private label design talent from Target, Yeah, which that sounds like for all intents and purposes is the same strategy that Bed Bath & Beyond deployed to answer that question. But as we've seen and talked about on the show ad nauseum, that's not a strategy that gets people in the stores because people will still just buy that product online more and more over time as well. So I don't know, David, what's your final thoughts here? So, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with what everyone has said. It, it sounds like I don't think Macy's truly knows their customer, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And to Mike's point, Nordstrom does a little bit better, but let's Nordstrom's bought Trump Club and right. failed yep. and had to roll it back in. Not easy. So even in a, in, in, a, in a mass kind of department store uh, name like Nordstrom's that is famous for customer service, they struggled with this. So the notion that Macy's is going to be able to do this um, at scale successfully, I, I just find hard to believe. Yeah, I think Dave brings up a really good point. There's a mm-hmm. generational shift, and it's almost like two generations that have shifted away from the department store model. Mm-hmm. The department store model fundamentally was always successful because it was very broad in nature. And now they need to be very specific to cater to Gen Z's needs and wants. And the whole department store arena is not really doing a great job of that. What I mean, quick take, you guys. What do you do here? I mean, do, is there anything that Macy's can do right now to save themselves? They've got to get more specialized. You walk into a Macy's, you have no idea what it stands for. Mm-hmm. So to do that, though, there's such a large entity with such a large, broad, skew category classification count. Right. Very hard to understand or see a vision of how they can get to, to a much more specialized place. 
I actually thought it was interesting, the whole exercise that they did of should we split off e-com away from brick and mortar? Yeah. Should we figure out a way to monetize the re- re- um, real estate investments that we have in brick and mortar? Mm-hmm. So there's something there, but from a front end retail standpoint, it's going to be tough for them. I, mean, I think the modernization of the website, it makes total sense. But I mean, I did personalization engagement seven years ago. So that feels like late. I think they need to, you, they've got to modernize and try. But then I like the notion of anchor categories or departments, I don't know what they stand for. I think they, at some point they're going to have to figure out what they stand for and, and make and shout it. Because right mm-hmm. now it's, you know, everything from furniture to, to accessories, pretzels. right? It's just it's, it's yeah. everything. Right. What's those, those pretzels is a good thing. I mean, we had yeah. a big debate yeah. on whether they should do this when you guys were last on the show, too. And um, no, I think, yeah, I mean, it's just. It's funny. We've got a lot of smoke What uh, window dressing headlines. I think Michael used in the earlier you know, story. We got a lot of window dressing headlines here mm-hmm. this week, which is fascinating to hear. But yeah, just more. sounds like more evidence that you know Macy's got a tough road ahead. All right, let's keep moving. Headline number four. There was lots of action happening on the live stream front out of China this week. First, Diane von Furstenberg and Helena Rubinstein and others are among the global brands ramping up their own live streaming channels. And Alibaba now says, this is interesting that brand-run streaming accounts are overtaking influencers as the biggest generators of gross merchandise value for some e-commerce platforms. For instance, retailers generated 60% of GMV on Alibaba Group's consumer-to-consumer live streaming e-commerce platform, Taobao Live, in the 12 months ending September 30th of last year. And also in somewhat related news this week, Alibaba's dedicated platform for luxury brands, Tmall Luxury Pavilion. I hang out there all the time. Oh, yeah, so do I. I'm always cruising the pavilion. Mm-hmm. And they rolled out a one-on-one private live streaming feature to replicate the exclusive shopping experience in a physical store. Michael, save me from this disastrous <laughs> headline read. I'm getting tongue-tied today. What do these headlines say to you? I'm curious about the future of where live stream commerce is headed, if anything. Yeah, look, I, first of all, this one I loved because I'm you did. fascinated okay. so and intrigued with uh, the whole influencer world. And we've done a ton of work with influencers. I think it's very interesting that the live streaming is, is taking on this life that it is. And it's great. I think, you know, you take sort of the voice back from influencers and sort of define your own voice. I think the challenge long term is, does the marketplace still feel that it's as authentic as influencers are? Mm Because it's great to hear Diane von Furstenberg talk about her brand and what she loves. But at what point does that turn into what old school media turned into of sort of curating a story that isn't as authentic as if a group of influencers were curating it for you. Mm -hmm. So I think this was a natural evolution that was bound to happen, but I kind of liken it to sort of the reality shows that are out there, like the housewives Mm -hmm. in the beginning, they were super authentic today. You watch the housewives and it's just a step away from a sitcom, right? You can clearly tell that it's staged. So it'd be very interesting to see the, the evolution of this. I think it's, it's in the beginning going to be very well received going to be very powerful, terrific thing for brands to get the message out that they'd like to get out. But in the long run, does Generation Z really respond to it? I'm not 100% sure that they'll they'll have the longevity that they're looking for. 
Yeah, interesting. That was that was a great answer for a couple of reasons. One, I think we fundamentally agree with a lot of your points there. And two, we found out that you're a closet. Uh, desk, uh, what is it? Real, Housewife. Real Housewives fan, which is also <laughs> awesome. But and I think I think you got some points to add on this, too, because I, I would argue there's kind of a middle ground yeah. in this and how Michael's describing this, which I know you've been thinking a lot about, which would be good to hear your take for the audience. Yeah. So we just interviewed um, Vincent Yang of a company called Firework and his the conversation that we had with him, um, his company works with retailers and brands to do live streaming on their own sites. You know, and mm-hmm. he really believes that, you know, that's how you're going to see the return on investment from investing in this kind of content. And I think that, you know, what's most important here, those numbers that you quoted in that article are no surprise. I mean, when the when you're a customer and you're on the brand's own website and you're having the experience to buy right next to and in and on that that retailer's site, that is a much more seamless experience for both parties. It's better for the customer because you're engaged there and it's way better for the brand or retailer because you have that one-to-one connection with your people who are interested in it. it doesn't mean that you can't still use influencers. And I think we'll still right. see an influencer relationship. there, driving people to the brand site, but I think that it's not, you know, there's still this, this difficulty in for brands and retailers and seeing the ROI f- directly from paying an influencers, lots and lots of money, which Michael, you, you mentioned before, like there, that's a huge huge investment from the retailer's perspective. And now moving this on platform just makes a lot more sense. You're seeing three times the engagement, significant increases in conversion, but also reduction in returns from people being able to engage and see that content, that product that they're buying um, directly from a representative of the brand. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think you're dead right. I mean, I think both of you guys, like the, the color I'd add would be like, you know, whether it's, whether it's the brand's own site or whether it's the brand's own page on a social media platform, it yeah. seems like that's the direction things are going to move. And to Michael's point too, it's going to take some time to filter out what is the right level of authentic authenticity for each brand in terms of how they deploy right. influencers on their site or on behalf of their own profile pages to make that happen versus like the traditional like marketplace approach with an influencer just right. controlling what they want to put out into the marketplace. Exactly. Um, David, what do you think? I have two points here. I mean, I think first the term influencer is so broad. I think this is a shot across the bow of the long tail of quote unquote influencers that don't really influence that much. Um, That's first. Uh, The second is, and I think maybe more interesting is this is in my mind, just a continued evolution from celebrity endorsed to celebrity brands, right? Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing it with Rihanna. Mm -hmm. Um, Why in the world would she use, she is the influencer and she is the brand. So I think, I think we'll see more and more rather than paying someone to be your influencer that they'll disintermediate and become their own brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Kind of like my, my man crush Tom Brady did this week announcing like IP on or like trademarks on like 16 different product categories for oh those that God. follow him closely. All right. Let's, and let's keep on. moving. All right. Headline number five, Twitter is testing a new shops feature. According to retail dive, Twitter this week released a new feature that allows brands to sell up to 50 products at a time on their profile pages. All you have to do is go to a brand's page, click the view shop button, and then you can buy items directly off of the Twitter platform. Michael, you had some good things to say last round. This ties in nicely. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, this the, the angry leprechaun went home and he's sleeping now. And the, oh, really? The, the happy leprechaun's out at the bar having a time. All right, yeah. all right. Dancing and singing. I, look, I love this. I, I've been waiting okay. for this. I think this is the future we've all been waiting for. I mean, how many times have any of us gone on a social media platform, saw something that you wanted to buy and just wished you had the ability to click through to it and, mm-hmm. and buy it? 
I think, you know, obviously we're part here in my house of like the Yellowstone movement. So when we watch Yellowstone, X-ray comes up at the bottom. Yep. And I know some of the people that, that are involved with the show, they're now talking about converting X-ray into click through as well. So yes. you can buy the clothes that are on the actors. Yeah. So I think Amazon just, just a, did at the country music awards. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So I, I love this. I think this is a natural evolution. There's not, there's definitely some pitfalls for them. They've, they've got to figure out the technology. They've got to figure out the right inventory management, the right partnerships with the vendors, how they can monetize the experience. But, but I think, I think this is the future that's been waiting to happen. Fascinating. Okay. So it's funny. Cause like when we first talked about this yesterday, I was kind of where you were and then, Anne pulled me back a little bit and, but like, I'll kind of give you guys and give the listeners an idea of where my head was with this. And now granted, I say this without trying it because I tried to try it on Twitter, but I couldn't find how to do it. It was very hard because they're probably in pilot phase, but in principle, there's an element I'd add to what Michael said too, which I'm glad Twitter's finally trying to do this, yeah. but I actually like the hook of it too, where it's 50 products that can be refreshed and updated. So that keeps me wanting to come back to that pro brand's profile page more often. Cause it's like, Oh, Hey, what am I going to look at today? But the thing that I don't love about it though, when I think about it long-term is it's really not that different than how Instagram works or right. how a feed in Instagram works, right. where it's just that same curated content is coming to me anyway. And I can already transact from there. And then I got to think about why am I on Twitter to begin with, which is more of like the news following people, which is like, do I want to conduct commerce? Do I want to buy in Twitter yeah. as much as I do when I'm scrolling through Instagram to be inspired? So net net, I kind of came came off my high horse and then kind of getting the hangover to use Michael's analogy here already on this story. But and you can sum it up better than I can. I mean, I read this and like after after the last story that we were talking about with brands kind of taking their content and taking their customers back onto their own platforms. Yeah. I think I might have overhyped social commerce like this with for the Instagram last few years. for the last few years. Um, I, I actually think that we're going to start to see retailers pull back on this. Um, it's not they're, they're selling through channels that they don't manage. I think, again, we take it back to what the customer experience is going to be if they are not limited to looking at 50 of your products. I mean, you can still put that out on social. You can still put yeah. out your curated products you to, you know, as a way to draw people in, but then drawing them into my own site as a retailer brand, giving them more content, like what they were seeing on Twitter, or Instagram, once they get to my site and then having the entire ecosystem of my products available to them in that same spot makes more sense to me than seeing something like this. I still think there's a place for it, yeah. but, but it's not as big as probably yeah. we'd like it to be. I think I hyped it up more. Totally agree. And it's very interesting because I'm going to say something controversial. I, okay. I've thought about this before in regards to the social media platforms. Why hasn't Amazon scooped one of them up, right? right. If, mm -hmm. in, if it was that important for it, because they're always progressive and ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. So if this was really a medium where they had access to customers and they could sell product to customers and really control the messaging, you would think that potentially maybe they would scoop one up, mm -hmm. but they haven't. So the question then comes up is, is this just going to fade away? And then it's going to go all back to the brands and the brands are going to control their message. Or is there an opportunity for this to work in the future? And then you see more consolidations of people like an Amazon 
uh, scooping some of them up. That's a great reference point too. And, you know, and I have to add too, you know, Amazon tried to create their own social network, Amazon Spark, which I think they tried for a couple of years, shut it down in, I think, 2018. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was because they just couldn't get it to work, but maybe they realized to your point, Michael, maybe they're, maybe they're just like, there's not that much there either. It's hard to know. This, these are new wrinkles being added to this conversation daily. But I think that that opens up our next conversation of how, what does this look like in the next iteration of social and the internet? And that's in yeah. the metaverse. And you do right. have the opportunity then to have those social connections, but then you also have retail happening and shopping and commerce happening in the same way. I, I think that that's kind of the next iteration of this that will really show us. Yeah. Conversational commerce, even like right. how that starts to play into this too. David, any thoughts here before we go to the lightning round? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to think about it for, Twitter's lens and the retailer's lens for Twitter. Yeah. I think you have to do this, right? Yes. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's kind a of part expected. of your platform that you yeah. can monetize that, that there's potentially huge upside. I, you know, Twitter's going to have some different data. I wonder if they could be better. I, I'm, the jury's out, I think. I, I, I'm, I'm in Ann's camp. I think that it's going to be overhyped probably. But, uh, but I think Twitter still has to, to give it a run and, a, and really invest behind it and see uh, just on, on the notion of what it could be. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point. I mean, you have people that are really investing in like things they care about, like news and politics and other things that they're getting from Twitter as a platform versus just social platforms where it's, you know, following up on people, Dave. I think that's a great point. Yeah, it's a totally different mindset, 100%. All right, well, let's close this out. This has been a great show. All right, lightning round time, guys. We'll start with you, Dave. Dave, Kitsch a new site that Vanity Fair is calling OnlyFans for Chefs, allows chefs to sell products in private dining lessons or tableside conversations. If you were to start your own kitsch site, Dave, what would your specialty be? So I love to cook, but uh, but I'm not particularly good. I think I'd have to go something around sandwiches uh, and, and maybe, uh, maybe pedal the sandwich press because I really like a good panini. Oh! Uh, I think that's where I'd have to go. Panini Dave. I like yeah, it. Panini Dave. I, I'll subscribe. <laughs> Grilled panis with David Ritter. I yeah. love it. All right. Let's keep moving. Dollar Shave Club announced a new Shinfluencer marketing campaign this week featuring Gonzaga basketball star Drew Timmy. Michael, question for you. Who has the better chin, in your opinion, the recently unretired Tom Brady or Tony Monero himself, John Travolta? A Tom Brady, 100%. Thank you. Yes. Oh, there was only one answer yes. there, Michael. Yes. Only yes. one answer. Yes. Full disclosure, right. I'm, as, I'm a Northeasterner, so I've been up here my entire life. Love the Pats. Love Tom Brady. Yes. Yeah. Who doesn't? I mean, if you don't love Tom Brady, there's something wrong with you, in my opinion. It's almost, un- it's almost un-American. It yeah. is, right? Mm-hmm. It is. Yes. It is 100%. All right. Uh, Michael, we're going to you again. Instacart is rolling out its in-store navigation and other tools for workers, including an interactive map that will help their shoppers more easily locate products throughout the store. Who would you want to voice over your personal in-store navigation, Michael? <laughs> James Earl Jones. All right, going Darth Vader on us. <laughs> Darth oh, Vader, serious, yeah. serious voice, but he'd have to do it in a comical way. He'd have Who to did do it like free in a pasta <laughs> in aisle four? That's so great. Turn we could right. have a whole show of voices of things we could find with James Earl Jones' voice in this grocery store. <laughs> Deodorant <laughs> aisle five. You know, like where, where can we go with that? All right. Anyway. Last one. The Senate passed a bill this week to end daylight saving time forever. David, what is one St. Patty's Day memory that will forever be saved in the daylight of your memory banks? Oh, man, this could get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> I lived in Chicago for a long time, so 
7 a.m. kegs and eggs feels like kind of the, the, the thing that I'll most remember St. Patty's Day, followed by a trip down to the, the, the Green River. Nice, nice. Yeah, I can't go wrong with that. that Does like- anyone remember their St. Patrick's Days in Chicago? Oh, I-, I feel like they're very you remember part you remember the start of them you don't remember the end of them (laughs) and you remember the after of them too all right happy birthday today to kurt russell grimes and the man who has never looked a day over 35 rob Lowe, or as i like to call him for all our canadian fans out there young blood and remember if you can read or listen to one retail blog in the business make it omni talk our fast five podcast is the quickest fastest rundown of all the week's top news and our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And it fits all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And yes, please leave us those reviews because we are rocketing up the charts. We reached number eight in the Apple Podcast Retail Podcast Rankings last yeah. week. So we are jamming. So please help us out. We want to get as high as we can on that list. And so, David, Michael, before we go, if people want to get in touch with you guys, learn more about what you guys do at AM, get your advice, what's the best way for them to do that? So you can learn more about us at www.alvarezandmarsal-crg.com or uh, email me personally. It's D-R-I-T-T-E-R at alvarezandmarsal.com. Just feel free or reach out on LinkedIn. We're kind of omni-channel in that way. Yeah, right, right. Always, always available. Yes. All right, David Ritter, Michael Prendergast, thanks for joining us today. It was a blast. Of course, to everyone out there listening, as always, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is a Microsoft-sponsored podcast. Microsoft Cloud for Retail connects your customers, your people, and your data across the shopper journey, delivering personalized experiences and operational excellence. And is also brought to you in association with the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. And finally, Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit Sezzle.com.